This morning is September 24th, 2017. The message this morning is the new creation alarm. The new creation alarm. Y'all say that with me. New creation alarm. I've just come back from the arising church. And the arising church is making an announcement this morning that the body of Christ is moving forward. That we are charging. In fact, they're beginning to feel a little sorry for Texas. They think that we're overwhelmed. They think that we are flooded. They are sending Michael Hutchinson to Dallas, Texas to start a church. Exciting things are coming. Do you believe me? Yes. They produced this video, and I would like you to see it. The Feast of Trumpets is a sign, signal, warning. The Feast of Trumpets is a siren, a terroir, a shout. A sign that something is coming. A reminder to prepare. A warning of change. A time of preparation. It is a siren that rises above the chaos and the noise to draw our collective attention to a specific focus. Repentance. Consecration. Introspection. It's Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, the new year. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon. The moon is full on the day of our feast, Psalm 81.3. It signals the promise of a coming atonement for all sins. We remember our sins and we contemplate how far we have wandered from the Lord. We think of the damage we have caused us. We mourn over the pain we have inflicted. For 10 days, the sound of trumpets bring us back to a place of brokenness. To a place of urgency. A place of longing. Longing for atonement. that you hear now are an alarm, an awakening, an announcement of something that's coming. God has been doing this since he announced it through Moses. Every year, the building of an anticipation, an ear-splitting sound, all trying to awaken the creation to something. It's time for the sons of God to rise. In Romans 8, the 19th verse, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The creation is waiting for the alarm to go off, for the trumpet to sound, for the dead to rise, and for the sons of God to be revealed. Trumpets is a yearly reminder. It's not a fat guy in a red suit trying to squeeze down your chimney. It is a holy king returning for a holy people to create a holy thing on the earth. Oh, it is good that we're in the season of Rosh Hashanah. How many of you have ever had a feeling when an alarm clock went off? Let me play you my favorite alarm clock. Let that sink in. <laughs> you need to be honest. Do you hate the sound of your alarm? Did that sound make you a little nauseous just now? Could that because of your, be because of your lack of sleep? Could it be the difficulty of the day ahead? Because I've never met the child who sleeps in at Christmas. I've never seen the groom who hates his alarm on the wedding day or the hunter who hates his alarm on the first day of the season or the winning athlete that hates the opening whistle or the starter's pistol. No mother hates the breaking of water on the day of birthing. 
No soldier sits still when the revelry charge sounds. But when the police siren sounds, the citizen and the criminal have two vastly different emotions running through their soul. Today is the 4th of Tishri. The year is 5,778. On the 1st of Tishri, it was Rosh Hashanah. I want to read to you from Numbers 29. Begin in verse 1 with me. Say, there when you were there. Church, can you feel a sense of anticipation in this room? Can you tell that the Lord is with us? Can you tell that He wants to move among us? Oh, man. Say there when you were there. On the first day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. It is a day for you to sound the trumpets. As an aroma pleasing to the Lord, prepare a burnt offering of one young bull, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. This is where we get the idea of Rosh Hashanah from. In English, we call it the Feast of Trumpets. I'm going to teach you all about it today. How many of you were here when Pastor Justin from King's Harvest Fellowship, gave that amazing word. Oh, man. It was about the aroma of Christ. Something about a people who hear the trumpet sound and have prepared the right sacrifice is like the aroma of Christ to God. Can you hear the alarm sounding this morning? Can you hear the trumpet splitting your ear? It's saying, circumcise your heart. Circumcise your ears. Now is the time. Pastor Justin encouraged us to smell like Jesus. Obedience smells like Jesus. Obedience when it hurts smells like Jesus. Fierce adherence to the word smells like Jesus. Pastor Wade did an amazing job with his Wednesday sermon, oversized Teflon and splitting ears. With that sermon, he touched on the principles of Rosh Hashanah. The video that we just went through came from the Arising Church where they're celebrating the fall feast. The Lord is sending His people a clear call. If you want to learn about Rosh Hashanah in a comprehensive fashion, take our our website or our app, type in the word Rosh, R-O-S-H, and you'll find many sermons, more than 12 hours of teaching on Rosh Hashanah. This morning we're going to cover its very specific theme for our church today. Can you say amen to that? Would you rather a word for today or one canned years ago that we take out like spam and feed you? Amen. While in English we say Feast of Trumpets, the Hebrews usually don't refer to this feast that way. The Hebrews say Rosh Hashanah. Say Rosh Rosh. Hashanah. Let me show you those words. Rosh means the head of, and Hashanah means the year. So the response when you say Rosh Hashanah is Hashanah Tov. In other words, good year. I met with three Jews two days ago in a cigar shop. And since there were three Jews, there were at least six opinions. And when my sons began discoursing from the Torah from the Nevim and from the Ketuvim. One of the old men who was in a wheelchair stopped them mid-sentence. He was fighting off tears and he said, I want to thank you. I'm like, sorry? I want to thank you. What for? For not calling it the Old Testament. He said, it is not old. And you seem to understand that it's life. I've never, hear this, I've never Met Christians like you. He left me with a humidor. He bought me a humidor and sent me out the door with it. He introduced me to his friends. He wanted them to meet a Christian that was like us. Oh, church, it's the head of the year. It's a new beginning. 
When we say it's the head of a year, that might strike you as strange. We don't hold New Year's in July. How can you have the head of a year in the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar? Why would we do something like that? Exodus 12, 1 and 2 contains that answer. The Lord said to Moshe and Aaron in Egypt, where did he speak to them? Oh, they were in the midst of their problem. They were in the midst of their bondage. They were in the midst of their hardship, but God began to speak to them there. Where do you think he'll speak to you? I'm telling you a new beginning is coming. I'm telling you something is about to happen. This month is to be for you the first month, the month of your year. God said, I'm going to do such a new thing among the Israelites that your calendar will literally change. Oh, man. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to have your life so fundamentally changed that the calendar resets for you? Have you ever done something? You're like, oh, 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 I just need to redo. Man, I need to start over. I got I to gotta do it again. I can't live with that. You're right. You can't live with that. You're going to have to die to it. Exodus 12 teaches us that the calendar had to change. Now, having said that, if you had a mortgage, if you had a car payment, in fact, if God changes your name today, like we all know Wade as Pastor Wade the homiletic blade Sutherland. You can scarcely say Pastor Matthew slap you with the Torah Piro without smiling. And having said that, if God changed these men's names, that would be their religious name. That would be the name that they were referred to in the congregation of the saints. But in secular society, can you just walk out and say, hey, God gave me a new name? No, when you sign your check, you've got to use the name of your birth or you've got to go before a judge. You understand what I'm saying? Let me show you the Hebrew calendar as it exists today. What we see are the months in their original order. Before God said this month is to be for you a new month, the first month of the year was Tishri. The second was Sheshvan, then Kislev, then Tevet, Shavat, Adar, Nisan. When God spoke and he set Nisan as the first month in the religious year, that did not change their secular year. Do you understand that? Brother Alex, you're in here. Is it common for people to have a fiscal year that is different from a calendar year? It is. Alex is our chief accountant in here. Amen. Because the pastors were tragically born without calculators. What this meant was that secular society would continue to follow their months of the year, but in a very religious way, there would be a calendar year that would be based on a new birth. In other words, when the nation was born again, they still had the old reckoning of time. It's just not what determined their future. Kind of like when you're born again. Your old life goes away, but it also very much does not. If you owed money and then you got born again, what do you still owe? You've just been forgiven for that silly mistake. Still got to pay it back, right? When we're talking about these things, consider that a religious year would begin in Nisan with a Passover. It would begin with being covered under the blood. That's a message to the body of Christ. You got to be covered under the blood. It would end... In the month of happiness, Adar, this is their happiest month of the year. But to the secular world, Tishri, it involved three specific feasts. When we're talking about that, there are Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. Don't get lost in Hebrew names. As if to say, from the beginning of creation, and why do I say beginning of creation? When did time begin? 
In Genesis 1-3, God says, let there be light, and there was light. He separates the light from the darkness. We have evening and morning the first day. What month was the first day in? Well, before God ever changed a calendar of any kind, the Jews say that first month was Tishri. So they say the world was created during the month of Tishri. More important, Adam and Eve were created during the month of Tishri. And during the month that they were created, during the month that the world came into being, there would be three feasts associated with creation. The first one, the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah would be saying, come on now, get ready. The second one, Yom Kippur, would be saying to the world, I'm going to make atonement for you. I'm going to fix this. I know it looks broken now, but I'm going to fix it. In Sukkot, Sukkot was about the salvation of all mankind, beginning with Israel walking with God. Amen. Oh, what a message from the beginning. It's as if 1 Timothy 2.4 is true. It's almost like God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth in Him. Paul goes on to tell Timothy there he gave himself as a ransom for all men. If you're sitting here today, there is a new beginning for you. The religious world will tell you that that new beginning comes from being covered under the blood of the Lamb, and that's true. But I say for all mankind, before He made you, He planned to redeem you. It takes people a while to switch from their secular calendar to the religious calendar. The creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Alarms are going off in creation. They're going off in governments. They're going off in the church this morning. The alarms are going off in my spirit. The feast schedule is reminding us like a trumpeting alarm that something is drawing near. The difficulties in the world around us have been echoed in the difficulties in our church and in our lives. We've had an extremely difficult time lately. Can you say that's true? We've had deaths. We've had floods, defections, and disappointments. But we've also had births, baptisms, salvations, encouragements, and church plantings. Oh, don't you gloat over me, my enemy. I am down, but I'm not out. A righteous man will rise. Lately, the devil's even tried to strip my closest friends away, but it's not over yet. Turn with me to Ezra, the 8th chapter. We're going to pick up in the 21st verse and see if we can learn something from our brother Ezra. There by the Hava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. Oh, come on, can you hear in Ezra's voice? I've taken my stand with the Lord. I cannot now lean on man. I've taken my stand with the Lord, and I'm going to trust in His Word, not the provisions of the king. Oh, something about Ezra's attitude. Just He'd rather be at risk on the road than to have risked shaming God's name by being a coward. I'm not going to give the enemy the satisfaction of watching me cry in my beer. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to stand up and fight for the will of God, the sanctity of the actual text of the Bible. In this all-important concept, we keep our vows even when it hurts. Amen. Who in this room will stand for the Word of God? Yeah. Who in this room will stand with me? Yeah. What is at stake? It's whether or not we're led by our own light or the Word of God is the light for our feet. 
We don't have the right to decide that if it feels good, we do it. We don't have the right to look at the word and say, I know it says, but is the word everything? We're going to stand with the word of God. You can take your seats. Like Ezra, we ought to be ashamed to think we need protection from these trials. God is with us. Can you feel that he's with us? God is with us. We don't need to be protected from trial. The Lord is our fortress. Who in here knows who David Ben-Gurion is? (laughs) One day, I pray you have the privilege of flying into Israel. Because there's only one airport you can land in. David Ben-Gurion Airport. He's got funny hair, but he's got the kind of character that a man should envy. During Israel's war of liberation, this man literally took up horseback and rifle. And he won. Come on, I want to win. Do you want to win? We're going to take up the cavalry of Christ with the word of God in our hands. And if you don't let go, it won't let you lose. But if you lose the word of God, you lose everything. In our next slide, David Ben-Gurion was born October 16th, 19... Now, that's not right. 1886. He was born before he died. (laughs) Born after he died. He was born October 16th, 1886. He died in the 70s. Like America's good sense died in the 70s. He was kind of the conscience of the Israel nation. He was a founding father of the state of Israel. He proclaimed Israel's statehood on May 14, 1948, knowing that they would be attacked by every neighbor, but believing that God's word said Israel would be born in a single day. He was the first signature on Israel's declaration of independence, knowing that that would be a list of people that the Muslim world wanted to put to death. He was not only the first prime minister, he was the first defense minister. Turns out that if you're going to lead a nation, you might have to fight for the nation. Church, I intend to fight for this church. I intend to fight for you to achieve your calling. I'm not willing that anybody in this room would not arrive at the goal. There's only one way to get there. You're going to have to cling to the word of God. This morning we are sounding an alarm. My favorite quote from David Ben-Gurion came from my son reminding me of it. Gabriel's been reading. Gabriel's life's been being transformed by the word of God. Whereas he once was spitting out some such nonsense as teenagers do that I tuned him out in the car on the road. Now he is just flowing with the Psalms and I'm being instructed by my own child. David Ben-Gurion, after reading Isaiah 11, said, In the end, it is said that the lion and the lamb will lie down together. I think even then I would rather be a lion. (laughs) Even in the new creation, I am a lion. I want to walk like the lion that is Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I want to carry the presence of Christ. I want to smell like Christ. Not a lion because he defends himself. Not a lion because he's fierce. A lion because he doesn't have to defend himself or be fierce. See, when we stand on the word of God, we need no defense. When we stand on the word of God, we don't have to win arguments. When we stand on the word of God, the word of God will preserve us. Even in the age to come, I'm a lion. You're a lion. We're called to be lions. Proverbs 28.1 says the righteous are as bold as lions. Do you want to be a lion in the house? There's a man named Pashur in the book of Jeremiah. A compromiser. A Pashur cat. He's not a lion, he's a pussycat. Tiptoeing around. Don't offend anybody except the one who speaks the word of God. Him you can offend. A lion stands where the word stands, no matter what it costs. A lion 
cannot be intimidated, seduced, or bribed away from the word of God because that's the abundance of God's house that he feasts on. You can no sooner take from a righteous lion the righteous stand of the word than you could take a stake out of the mouth of a lion. The word of God costs something. It's cost me lots of relationships in my life. But I promise to die to this world. I promise to take up my cross, deny myself, and go after the king. And I'm not about to stop just because somebody else does. We cannot be beaten by these trials. But we can be bettered by these trials. Let's look at the text. Let's reflect on the new creation alarm, the wake-up call of God, the Rosh Hashanah. Let's repent, be renewed, and be empowered from on high. We can walk out of here today with our heads held high. I'm not going to sit around and mope anymore. Today is a new beginning. It's the head of a new year. I'm glad this last year is behind me, and I look forward to the church plants the births, the missions work, the five-fold ministries that are being born out of this church. Let's go to James 1 in verse 12. Say there when you were there. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. You can call it anything you want to, but if you're not persevering under the trial, you're running from it. You're either advancing in the trial or you're retreating from it. There's no such thing as simply finding a new ground to fight on. You must stand where God told you to stand, and what must you do? Persevere. If God told you on Monday that you're supposed to work for AAA, then on Tuesday he didn't change his mind just because your wages became hard to collect. We must persevere when God has said. The thing I like least about the charismatic community is that we never claim to be unfaithful. We simply say, God told me something new. God is not a schizophrenic. Don't make him out to be a liar to justify yourself. The characteristic of the righteous is that we persevere under trial. Because when he has stood the test, somebody say, stand the test. He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. See, when you love him, you persevere. When you love him, you stand for him. When you love him, you jump to your feet to stand on the word of God. And in return, he loves you and gives you a crown of life. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Where do temptations come from? Your own desire. And then they begin to entice you. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. As soon as you feel the need to hide something, you tell one group something and another group something else, it's because sin is conceived and is growing inside of you. And when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. The Word of God contains everything that we need. The reason that it needs to be for you a mirror is because when you look into that mirror, it will divide between your soul and spirit, between your joint and marrow. It will straighten you out. The enemy in the mirror is you. It's the things that we desire other than the Word. It's the things that we want that are pleasures of this world. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. And the Word will be a sharp sword to break that desire. Do you want to stand on the word? Don't be deceived, dear brothers. He wouldn't have to say, don't be deceived, dear brothers, if you couldn't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Do you hear that? God is not this way one week and another way the next week. 
He doesn't spend 10 or 15 years building a foundation to abandon it over a passing fancy. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Where did your birth come from? The word births you. And the word planted in you can save you. But you're going to have to persevere in the word. At the beginning of every year. At Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. At the time we consider the purpose for which we were created. Understand the word was created to guide you in your new life. Was birthed right out of the word. You can't live without the word of God. It is your life. Morning, noon, and nighttime. You need the word of God. You need the word of God every time your physical body gets hungry. Your soul ought to be gnawing at your spiritual backbone saying, feed me. A lion will growl and fight for his food. Will you fight for the word of God? You got to fight with Netflix. You got to fight with your radio. You got to fight with your apathy. You got to fight with the own wicked desires inside of you. You're going to have to fight for it. As a young man. I had no problem picking a fight. I had a serious problem picking the right fight. As an old man, I often also have that problem. The Word of God will direct you. It will show you how to hold the sword, how to wear a sword, and where to stick that sword. You need the Word of God. We might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. You are supposed to be an announcement to the world. That a new creation is coming. An ear-splitting sound. An epistle that they can read that says, The sons of God are about to be revealed. This is the preamble. This is the prelude. Something more is coming. The fullness is going to come upon the earth. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Wow. If you get angry when the alarm goes off, then why did you set it? What was its purpose? Man, do you hate the alarm when it performs the purpose for which it was designed? I don't know whether you do or not, but I know many people hate the pastor when he does what he was designed to do. Warn the sheep. I am not here to pad someone's ego. I cannot be bought. I cannot be sold. I cannot be intimidated. And I sure can't be seduced. My design is to warn the body of Christ. And if I see the wolf coming, call the wolf a wolf, and you don't like it because you think that it's a puppy dog, then you have to ask yourself why God put you in this church. And if your design has suddenly gone through a metamorphosis, listen to this next verse because it's pretty important. My dear brothers, nope, 21, therefore, Get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Let me talk to you about that for a moment. Moral filth. You'd have no problem knowing what immoral filth is. Immoral filth. Junkies got a needle hanging out of their arm. They just stole somebody's stereo to buy it. You got no problem knowing what immoral filth is. You slept with your neighbor's wife. You got no problem knowing what immoral filth is, but what is moral filth? Man, moral filth. Consider that Jesus was killed on the Passover, the most religious day in the Jewish calendar. He was killed in Jerusalem, the holiest city on the planet. He was killed by Jews who are the most Religious people on the planet. What is moral filth? 
Moral filth is that which you have accepted and believe is good, but is filthy in God's eyes. Moral filth. Man, that fruit I'm not supposed to eat of, it'll just make me like God. That's a good thing, right? Who doesn't want to be more like God? Moral filth. Adding to the word. Oh, God said, don't eat it. Don't even touch it. Moral filth. God never said that. Moral filth is when you help God out a little bit with some of your own morality. You know how many people have fallen because they were going to do something that was good-natured contrary to the word? I know the word says this, but. I know the word says this, but let's be honest, that's just your interpretation. Moral filth is what happens when people have a loose relationship with the word. They quote their tribal knowledge as if it were God's word. It's supposed to help everybody, right? No, there are people in this world you are not supposed to help, and the Bible says so. You know, you can't have anything to do with somebody who's sexually immoral. Do you know that? You don't have the right to amend it. Do you know you cannot put a woman on the entitlement rights list in a church unless she's over 60, has a reputation for washing the feet of the saints, has a good reputation with everybody? You don't have the right to do what the Word says you cannot do. It doesn't matter whether you think it's more moral. You can't say that the word forbids beards if it doesn't forbid beards. You can't say that the word makes you wear slacks if the word doesn't say you have to wear slacks. That's moral filth. Met a man in Turkey. I was so happy to meet another Christian. He called my son a woman because he was wearing a ball cap. He is lucky I did not hear that. Because his creed makes him a pacifist and we could put that to the test quickly. At the same time that women were coming out of Islam and putting away their veils, putting away their hijabs, told them that they were dressing like whores. His words, not mine. That Christian women had to cover their hair. moral filth when we add to the Word of God. It's moral filth when we make up our own standards. That was filthy. I watched women full of the glory of the Lord, full head of hair, excited, worshiping before the Lord, free from religious bondage. Most people that I've seen fall away do it over moral filth. They don't do it over immoral filth. Most people that fall away are not visiting a prostitute, at least not at first. That's a minority of the people that fall away. Most people that fall away simply suddenly feel called to do something easier. In a place that's easier. With people that it's easier. That's how it happens most of the time. The deception is not that they've traded. They, they don't believe they've traded darkness for light. They believe they've simply found another place they can be a light. God does not change like shifting shadows. Do you hear me? Yes. Something's got to be said for the man who takes his stand where God said and will not move. He simply perseveres under trial. Listen to me, you crazy charismatics. Finish what you start. Amen. When God says, stand your ground. Come hell. Come high water. Come all the minions of hell. Stand your ground. He's worth it. Amen. I entered Texas in 2002 because the Lord sent me here. Do you really think that I couldn't have found easier places to work? You stand your ground because he's worth standing for. The word, it can save you. But you're going to have to listen to it. You're going to have to do it. Look at what verse 22 says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. 
But the man who looks intently into the perfect law, that's the mirror, that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Saints, don't forget the mirror. You know, when your alarm goes off on a Monday morning, you stumble out of bed. You arrive at the sink where you splash some water in your face and you look in the mirror. Is the Spirit saying this to you today? Is it time to awake from your slumber, to crawl to the sink, splash the water of the Word on your face and take a fresh look at your deeds in the mirror? Have you been covered in moral filth? Well, I just think moral filth. I don't care and God doesn't care what you think. You shouldn't give two cents for what I think. You should care everything for what the word says. You ought not be able to change houses without God's word telling you to. You sure as heck can't change spouses. They can love you on TV, love you on the internet, and you make all the money in the world, but your soul burn because you are covered in moral filth. I'm not even going to get on the Christian TV topic, but I tell you, I can barely see the screen. I haven't watched it in years because it's so covered in moral filth. I don't know what to do. The entire prosperity movement is moral filth. Let's turn to Isaiah 50 and talk about waking morning by morning. Say there when you were there. Flaky charismatics. I never want that to be associated with this body. We say what we mean. We mean what we say. We do exactly what the Word says. And it says on the website in our statement of faith and has said it since April of 2002, if you can show me in the Word where something needs to change, bar none, no matter what it means to our feelings, what it means to our tradition, our history, if 90% of the church stands up and walks out, if the Word says it, we do it. You know why? Because the Word is everything. People, they'll turn on you. Worldly blessings, they can leave you. But the Word, it's eternal. It stands forever. I've got it and it's got me. You hear me? I'm holding the Word and the Word is holding me. I'm working in the Word and the Word is working in me. You don't like something you see? Pray I absorb more and more and more of the Word. But one thing don't you ever ask me to do. Simply accept your moral filth. I'm not going to do it. No matter how pretty the package is. No matter how much you think you can improve on the Word with your rules. Or improve on the word with your compassion that extends beyond God. Or your religious hatred of something that God loves. I found out you cannot trust men. They often value things that God hates and despise things that he loves. I want my heart to be aligned with God. How do you do that? The word. Are you in Isaiah 50? In Isaiah 50, let's pick up in verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. How often was Isaiah awakened? Morning by morning. He could hear the new creation alarm going off. Isaiah had heard from God, but it didn't mean that he didn't need to keep hearing from God. In an ever-changing battle, in an ever-changing world, he needed more instruction every day. The number one characteristic of those who do not finish in a fruitful way is they did not hear, retain, and persevere in the Word. Oh man, don't you be a Word-like Christian. Don't you do it. Your Bible goes with you wherever you go. 
You read it whenever you possibly can. Go awake or awake with it each morning and go to sleep each night reading it. Stuff yourself with the Word like an ox eating grain. There is never a time that you have covered enough of the Word that you don't need more of it, ever. It's like a lion being fat, lazy, and full. He won't be at the top of the pride long. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I have offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the Sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let me confront him. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Saints, the word can be trusted. The word will defend you. The word should control your actions so that your actions don't need defending. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. On what are you relying? The word of God needs to be the answer resounding out of your soul. Can you hear the wake-up call? But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, Go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Is it pretty darn clear that you must be instructed by the word? How easy is it to be instructed by the light of Facebook? How easy is it to be instructed by what you think is best? Well, I know the word says, but just not practical in this case. I know the word says don't let the sun go down. I know the word says get up from the altar, go make things right. I know the word says it, but man, if you walk by the light of your own torch, what happens to you? See, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, what does it lead to? Man, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to walk by the light of my own torch. I want the Word of God to control everything that I do. And it takes the Spirit of God for you to understand the Word of God. What ought we to be asking for? Amen. People end up walking by their own torch. They're covered in moral filth. They've adopted standards that are not in the Word. There are things, honestly, that are hard for me that the Word says. Things that I wish the Word didn't say. That whole, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven thing, that's pretty tough. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I love my wife. I mean, I really love my wife. Anybody that spends time around us ought to know that. Like, I am overflowing with affection to her. Things you think are inappropriate to say, I don't even think are inappropriate because we're in a covenant together. I think she's extraordinary. And even, even the word is difficult regarding your spouse. Husbands, Ephesians 5, it doesn't tell you to love your wife. It tells you to love your wife as Christ loves the church. You know what a high standard that is? I kind of wish... The word said, love your wife as best as you can. (laughs) But it doesn't. And I don't have the right to amend it. I don't have the right to say it's impractical. I don't have a right to complain and say I can't do it. All I can do is fall on my face and say I've heard the alarm calling, Lord. The wake-up call. I've got to go higher. I've got to do more. Help me. Let your grace fill me. I can't do it without you. Husbands, look at me. He will anoint you to love your wife. You know why? He commanded it. 
But don't you bring this nonsense of loving somebody other than your wife. He'll damn you for that. Can you hear the instructed tongue of the word talking to this house of lions this morning? Saying it's time to get right. It's time to roar. Disappointing things are bound to happen. How many of you have heard the saying, blood is thicker than water? Man, when you hear blood is thicker than water, it's always by somebody who's complaining that you're too close to your family or your family that's complaining you're supposed to be closer to them than everybody else. It's a total bastardization of that idiom. I want to show you Sir Walter Scott. Sir Walter Scott originated the phrase, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. You know what that means? That means that the bonds of those who are under the blood of Christ are supposed to be greater than the bonds of those who simply came out of the same womb. Oh, man. If anybody in my family still watched our sermons. Know you're in trouble with Ask you to Thanksgiving and didn't know you had a beard. <laughs> you know, like, wow. I publish a couple hundred messages a year. I'd kind of hoped you'd heard one of them. I learned about Sir Walter Scott quoting this phrase from Pastor Nick Slaughter. Can I tell you it's important that we're in covenant with each other? Yeah. That we never break those covenants? Amen. You need to put some names in a jar. You probably should do it this week. These people have the right to correct me. Pray about it. Write down their names. Whoever gets on that list, you seal that jar for the day of the apocalypse. I mean your own personal apocalypse. When you've lost your mind. And when you've lost your mind, you break the jar. You take out the names and whatever those people say, you do. Because when you renegotiate, when others have said you've lost your mind, you won't know whether they're right or you're right. Don't wait till you're deceived to begin to renegotiate your contract. Make it now while you're thinking clearly. If Bajir Regina or Charlie Brown or Matthew Pirro or Wade Sutherland looks me in the eye and says, you're wrong, I stop what I'm doing, period, right then, right there, no exceptions. I've proven that to this church. If the people you've submitted your life to happen to get it wrong from time to time, and who doesn't, God will correct them through the power of submission. But he will never, never come to the aid of the one who is in rebellion. That's of the enemy. So Walter Scott said this in a novel, Guy Mannering. We don't read anymore, so we don't know where things come from, which means when semantic drift occurs, we don't even know it's occurring. My children had no idea that the word gay actually meant happy. And I refuse to give the homosexual community the word fierce. It's still mine. I can stand up to any man in a skirt over that. At a time that David was distraught, he was upset because those who had once worshipped with him were now at odds with him. Let's read his advice to us. It's Psalm 55. Say there when you were there. In Psalm 55. Beginning in verse 19. God who is enthroned forever will hear them. Speaking about those who once worshipped with him and now were angry with him, attacking him. God who is enthroned forever will hear them and will afflict them. Men who never change their ways and have no fear of God. Anybody remember what's written right outside this building on the wall? Life-changing ministries. We are not set in our ways. We're set in the word. And if the word says it, we change. If the word doesn't say it, I refuse to change because you say it. The word is the governor for my life. Is the word the governor for your life? Yes. Then don't make life changes without having had the word speak to you. You get deceived that way. 
My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. In the complete Jewish Bible, this cast your cares on the Lord, it said a little differently. It said this way, unload your burdens on Adonai. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Oh, man. Do you have a burden that you need to unload on Adonai today? You know, a burden is often something that you committed to that you shouldn't have. It wasn't God's. A burden is often moral filth. Something that you thought was right but was not birthed out of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Are you burdened in the house of God today? You need to re-examine where you stand. Listen to where 1 Peter 5 gets his statement from. Peter is actually quoting the Psalms. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety, your burden, on Him because He cares for you. This morning I'm standing here burden free. Because I left my burdens where they belong this morning. At the cross, as I visited the cross. He goes on to say, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you have to fight with an enemy, do you want to do it in a fat suit? You want to do it burdened with things you're not supposed to carry. Sometimes the enemy is eating your lunch because you're carrying things into a battle that aren't supposed to be there. Trumpets is an announcement. The day of atonement is coming. you got to get right. Examine your life. Look at it against the word. When the alarm clock goes off, will you hate it or love it? It depends on whether it's the day of your redemption or the day of your condemnation. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Every real man or woman of God, everyone is undergoing trial. If you're dangerous to the enemy, you're attacked by him. We do not run. We don't know what it is to back up. We're not going to do it because I pledged my life. How about you? Are you avoiding the most difficult battles because they're hard? In the name of Jesus, hear the new creation call. If you're to be made into the new creation, you're going to have to have the word working in you and you're going to have to have trials shaping you from the outside. And the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Strong, firm, and steadfast. Strong, firm, and steadfast. Oh my goodness! Strong, firm, steadfast. Man, does that describe your life? When you stand on the Word, it will begin to describe you because the Word is, is filling you and moving you. To be strong, firm, and steadfast. We have to be burden free. We have to humbly accept the word planted in us. We have to resist the enemy and live by the word. We have to look in the mirror. We have to be awake and sober minded. Are you beginning to wake up this morning to your responsibility? Is the Lord beginning to speak to you because you're a pride of lions? You are men and women that are called to be as bold as lions. I refuse to sit in disappointment and cry in my beer. I have shed my last tear for those that do not love the word like I love the word. Amen. A guy that the Jews call Rambam. You can put that slide up. His name was Rabbi Moses ben Mammon. 
Some people referred to him as Maimonides. He said, while reading the text concerning Rosh Hashanah, that Rosh Hashanah was a time to awake, O oh, you sleepers. Awake from your sleep. O oh, you slumberers, awake from your slumber. Search your deeds and turn and teshuvah. Turn in repentance. This was a clue I was given by a guy named jo Joshua Toluskin. He wrote it in his book about essential Jewish wisdom. But as I was marveling at this rabbi's wisdom and Rambam's wisdom, I couldn't help but wonder about the words of Saul Paulus of Tarsus, who was a pretty famous rabbi himself. Turn with me to Ephesians 5, 8. We're in our last couple scriptures here. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. That is why, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ's light will shine on you. See, there is a creation alarm clock going off. It says that you can rise. You can rise out of dead moral filth. You can rise right out of dead decisions at any point. You can turn around. You can get to the spiritual sink. Look in the mirror and wash your face and become again like Christ. Amen. Have you been trapped by a burden? Soon, the heavenly trumpet will sound and the citizen will hear salvation and the criminal will hear his condemnation. The same alarm announces salvation of one and damnation of the other. How do you hear the alarm today? It might tell you whether you're a citizen or a criminal. Revelation 11:15 says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. When the seventh trumpet sounds, you are wherever you are. Rosh Hashanah, Hashanah is a reminder that it's a new year. The last trumpet has sounded, but not really. See, it's a grace call. It says it's time to get right because we've closed a year and God has given us a new one, a new beginning, a new creation. How many of you have received something new from the Lord? Don't waste it. Don't waste it. There's a day coming when the alarm will go off and it will be the final trumpet. We're rehearsing for it now, but it comes faster than you think. John 5, 24 says this. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He is crossed from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus stood right there, His voice going out like a trumpet, ear-splitting sound. Some rose from their spiritual deadness and were alive because of the Word of God. And others did not recognize that they were sleeping through the new creation alarm. Saints, I pray that you hear the call of the Spirit. It's time to wake up. Have you been dwelling in disappointment? Has depression creeped up on you? Are you beginning to look at people skeptically? Have you failed and failure is what you expect of others? It's a new year. It's the head of a new year. This is the year we forge the kingdom together. 
This is the year we plant ministries together. This is the year we go further with fewer if we have to. I asked you earlier, who would stand with me? And men first all over this room popped up. And then women and children with them. Because you want to stand for the word of God. You do that every day in your life by your adherence to the word. The final scripture that is associated with Rosh Hashanah every year is this very great hope. That trumpet for those that are hearing the alarm signifies something. Something that you can do right here, right now. It's Micah 7.19. You will again have compassion on us. The alarm is condemnation to some, but others recognize it's really God's compassion, His warning. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You may be covered in moral filth or immoral filth this morning. You may have been a coward when you were supposed to be a conqueror. Maybe you backed up when you should have stood up. I don't know all of the ways that the devil has been beating on you, but I know these have been some of the toughest months in my life in a decade. And I am not going to lie down and watch the devil walk on me. It is time to stand up, men of God. 